You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello, hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. Happy hump day. This is a podcast to inspire unconventional careers, and it is a part of OMD Ventures, my platform on a mission to create utopian organizations. If you'd like to find out more about what this all means, definitely check check out the site at omdventures.com to learn more. And if you want to maybe ask a question for me or um, just have any kind of general career-based questions, feel free to ask them on the site as well. You can reach me at omdventures slash contact and with i guess enough questions i'll try to create some kind of ama episode of sorts so it can answer questions for that many other listeners like yourself might have as well um really try to be part of the community by subscribing to the newsletter where i provide i guess ex- what i would call quote-unquote exclusive content on my journey in terms of creating this media platform and all the things i do to update my own systems in life and i'll also provide links straight up to the essay podcast and the learnings newsletter that i produce every week as well awesome so today's conversation is with carolyn platter she is a psychotherapist and mental health clinician who is the co-founder of home north america's largest meditation studio and is it is spelled h-o-a-m-e and she is also the co-founder of Ease, which is spelled E-A-S-E, nothing, something with Ease. And that is the corporate wellness consulting company that is also the parent company of Home. Before starting Home and Ease two years ago, Carolyn spent more than 10 years really in the mental health space as a therapist, clinician, and crisis worker. And she worked with various mental health patients in schools, foster homes, hospitals, and other various centers as well. Through her mother's nursing career, it really got her influence to this dream of really having a career of helping people in the future. But it would be this kind of pivotal decision to transfer out of her English major in university that sent her down this world of psychology and mental health. Her frustration with the reactionary nature of mental health care really led to starting this company called Ease with her current co-founder Steph and they ventured out to create a state-of-the-art meditation studio in downtown Toronto. And I visited this state, this studio when we did the actual podcast interview. And Carolyn was gracious enough to give me a tour of the place. And it is, it actually feels state-of-the-art. They have all this cool technology stuff, different kinds of, I guess, themes for different kinds of meditation rooms, like a sauna room, a salt crystal cave, which I thought was the coolest thing ever, like a light room, a dark room. It's and they have all kinds of cool neat technology you just don't expect to find in a meditation studio so i think that was really cool stuff so in our chat we go through all these various aspects of the meditation studio but we also go in depth into carolyn's journey and her experience with meditation how people could get started with it to begin with and the entrepreneur the entrepreneurial journey of starting a meditation studio specifically because it's i would say it's different from the traditional digital businesses we are so familiar with hearing about. Also, Carolyn was kind enough to provide a code for you, my listeners, uh, where you can get 
one free meditation session if you book and go i think by the end of the year and the code is sorry the code is accounted for 100 so the name of the podcast accounted for with the number 100 right behind it and it's all capitalized and i will also know provide that in the show notes below as well but just in case yeah so definitely use that to get your own first free like meditation session and yeah see how you like having an actual in-person guided meditation studio experience i definitely will be doing it myself as well and so here is my conversation with carolyn hey everyone welcome back to accounted for today on the podcast we have carolyn platter Hey, Carolyn, thanks for coming to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Carolyn here is the co-founder of Home and Ease, and she's also a psychotherapist and a mental health clinician. So, Carolyn, that's a pretty long title <laughs> for someone. And so to give our audience kind of an understanding of what your company Home, as well as maybe Ease, does, yep. like that'd be great if you can give us some background on that. Sure. So myself and my co-founder, we've been working together in mental health for about 10 years now. We actually started working together first in addiction medicine and we were working at a methadone maintenance clinic. And what we were seeing was so much related, like stress-related illnesses, things like addictions even being exacerbated by stress. And so both my best friend and I at the time were like, okay, well, what are some other ways that we can help people, right? We're doing this counseling and doing this therapy, but we're also big into research and science. And so we started reading about things like mindfulness and meditation. And that really led us on this journey that I ended up doing my yoga teacher training, my meditation certificate. And it was really then that we were like, okay, we know that there's so many benefits to mindfulness and meditation beyond just mental health. There's physical health benefits. There's lots and lots of benefits. How do we get Torontonians kind of connected to this practice in sort of a modern and innovative way? And that was how we really started the first concept, like concepting the idea of home. We were like, it really started as this dream around staff, like she's my best friend and co-founder. It was around her dinner table couple of glasses of wine and we're just kind of like wouldn't it be cool if you had this place that was like you know you'd have a studio and it would have stars on the ceiling or you could have a salt cave or you could have all of these things but all around meditation and mindfulness and that was really like the first seeds of home was around that dining room table and then kind of fast forward we actually then created a business plan we were doing a lot of corporate wellness and consulting at the time as well and so we were already weaving in meditation and mindfulness to that work and it just seemed like this really organic fit we ended up you know, talking to the right people, making a really great, solid team. And we created Home. It's been open now for 14 months. Wow. And so Home is the meditation uh, studio and yeah. Ease is your corporate, I guess, consulting Yeah. Company. So Ease is like our holding company. So mm-hmm. we've been doing, Steph and I have been running corporate wellness um, trainings and education for about five years now. And that was under Ease. And the whole reason that we called it Ease in the first place was we wanted mental health and mental wellness to be easy for corporations to understand. Because a lot of times when we were talking about mental health, we kind of complicate it, right? And then it kind of scares people away from it. People aren't sure how do you talk about mental health in the workplace. And so by us kind of coming in and saying, okay, we can make it easy for you, mm-hmm. that was really the origins of that. And then, yeah, home was really the meditation space. And we're a 5,100-square-foot space here in Toronto. Yeah, and it, I think it's one of the largest meditation studios in North America. That's right. right. From what we, we know currently, it is the largest yeah. uh, meditation studio in North America. So. And, yeah, like, I just you were gracious enough to give me a nice tour <laughs> of the place. And, yeah, it's actually pretty big. I was very surprised, too, because yeah. from the outside, it doesn't look like it goes deep. But That's there's right. these huge rooms where people 
I think, how many can you fit in one meditation room? We have about, like, so we can have about 25 to 30 people comfortably in each space, gotcha. depending on if they're seated or laying down. And then we have our front space, which we can kind of open up, as you saw, into a larger space. And we can have about 75 people in here. So, oh, wow. yeah, we can have some big classes. Yeah. And home, the actual spelling of it, why is there an A? It's H-O-A-M-E. Mm-hmm. That's a question we get often. Okay. So it's actually kind of funny when we were concepting the, the name, we were throwing out all these different ideas and we had, home was not the first name that we came up with and we were calling it something else for a long time. But then over time, we always kept referring to our team as our family we kept referring to the space where people can gather as our living room. Like it was always like this home vibe. We often kept saying that we want it to feel like people are at home. We kept saying home, but we were never, we never like kind of sat on that as a brand or a name. And then one day our colleague came out and she was like, you know what, what about this? She's like, just try me, but what do you think about this? And she put out the name home and she just put the A. Truthfully, it's a little bit of a creative flair. It's just a little bit of a differentiator from the name home. Um, but we love it because it has one, it's, you know, it just kind of looks interesting. Um, but also home means so many things to so many people. And when it comes to meditation and mindfulness, it's about finding a home within yourself mm-hmm. or going back home. Um, and then of course there's the universal sound, which is ohm. And so that's in there. Like so it. lots of meanings to it. Yeah. And so growing up, did you, did you grow up in Toronto? I did. And so I'm wondering, was, was your home kind of this very meditative atmosphere? Like, was it a very calming environment that you grew up in? I don't know if I would say it was calming, per se. <laughs> it wasn't not calming. Um, but it's interesting, actually. I really wasn't into meditation or mindfulness my growing up at all. Um, it was nothing that I really practiced. If anything, I was, you know, I did my undergrad in psych. I was very science-oriented. I was like, this stuff to me was like, totally out there, you know, and it's funny because my mom's a nurse and even though she has a medical background, she's been into meditation and mindfulness for ages. You know, we've had crystals in random corners of our house, like since I was a kid. Um, but I always thought she was like a little out there when she would do these things. I'm like, okay, mom, like whatever. And then it wasn't really until that the science, like so many of us, once the science starts catching up with it, you know, I mean, meditation has been practiced for thousands of years. But now the science is starting to support it and has caught up. And it was that. It was me reading research papers, actually, to help my clients with anxiety and stress that led me to kind of being like, okay, you know, there's something here. And that was what started my journey. So not not the childhood thing. It was actually later on. Yeah. Oh, okay. And I also read in a previous interview that your mother is actually a very big role model for you. And, she is. And so I'm wondering, did that influence your, uh, I guess, branch branch into the mental health industry or what mm-hmm. like, what was like when you were growing up did you want to be someone in the medical field as, as like a seven-year-old or like 10-year-old I think so like I always had this like I knew I was going to help people like kind of go into a helping profession like that was always something that I was drawn to like psychology and therapy and nursing and I kind of had this idea that that's what I was going to go into or education that was another one that I was really interested in and so actually even when I started my undergrad I was actually in an English major because I was like oh I'm going to go into teaching and then I had to take I took a first psych class in first year and that just like changed everything for me and that was then I switched my major that year and then I kind of started my journey but my mom actually was working as an addictions nurse And so during my undergrad, I actually got a job at the addiction clinic. And it was really then that I got super into mental health and to mental wellness. 
was really my work working with people with um, serious opiate dependencies. Hmm. And what what gave you the conviction to switch over from being an English major? My understanding is that when you were in English, mm-hmm. you were considering teaching or even like law. Law as a was the other one, yeah. And you know, like when people tend, at least my friends, when they tend to consider law as a profession, there's a big D ambitious right. career element to totally. become this white collar uh, lawyer right. and to switch into psychology quickly from that like, i'm wondering what what gave you the conviction to do that yeah i mean it's i'm i think that's the type of person i am it's like once something just feels right it's it's easy for me to make these kind of like big life switches um and for me it was sitting in that in that first year psych course and i learned about abnormal psychology which is all the diagnoses and the sort of interesting facets about human human beings and it was there that I was like, this is just like where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm like that. I, you know, I changed and we could talk about this later on as well, but I changed to veganism three years ago and it was the very same thing. It was like this switch. I went from eating meat one day to that was it. And I never went back. And that's, and it's very similar to how just with the English major, it's like, once I made that switch, it's just, it's done. Do, do you find that you tend to be on the scale of someone who just can make a huge shift? Mm-hmm. yeah if it feels right it's like i just know it and i don't need to kind of question it it's just like go with what you know so have you tried the other way of maybe making like small incremental steps yeah i mean i think i we, I tend to be a little bit of a go big or, or don't go at all kind of person i mean even as you can see with building home we we really just jumped in we just you know I, i'm not an entrepreneur that's not my background and we kind of just jumped into this because we we were really had this strong belief in what we were doing here mm-hmm. And if I were to kind of plan, uh, lay out your career, you so you studied psychology at York, mm-hmm. then you did a master's of social work at U of T, yeah. and it seems like you've you've had a wide variety of work experience in like various clinics, foster homes, yeah. and um, it seems like you know a decade long career in like as a health clinician and psychotherapist. I love that you've done your homework oh, for me. I love you. it. <laughs> it's one of the things I like to do. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. And. I'm not very familiar with the world of, uh, I guess, the career space of what psychology grads do after yeah. graduating. And so I'm wondering, if, when you came out of school, what what was the kind of optional optional like path mm-hmm. out there for you? So to give you perspective, and like I graduated from accounting from like a business program. So oh, when cool. when we graduated, it was practically you have they tell you, you have three options: you can be an accountant, a consultant, or you can go to finance. That's and yeah. I ended up doing all three, but most people don't end up actually doing all three they just stick to one path and just go all the way yeah so i'm wondering for psychology grads like what what are the doors that are open at least for you what were yeah that's such a great question because i think that's the challenge sometimes with uh, being a psych major was that was what i realized at the end of this four years i think i was in psych originally thinking i'm going to become a clinical psychologist that was kind of my initial game plan it's a lot of school i ended up doing quite a bit of school afterwards but uh, then I graduated with four-year psych degree, and a lot of people ask, like, what do you do with a psych degree? And that was the question that I asked as well. And so I started working at the methadone clinic. My mom was working there, so I very lucky, luckily kind of was in the right place at the right time. It was also a clinic that was just starting to really grow. So I had this opportunity to kind of get a foot in the door just as they were starting to shift over to ha- hiring addiction counselors. So I actually then, in between that and my master's, I went back to school and I did a postgraduate diploma in addiction counseling. And once I had that, then I could actually counsel um, clients and patients from the clinic. So that was like my first step in was just, again, like through my mom, through this network and being there at the methadone clinic. But I always am the type of person like, it's like, well, what else can I do? Or 
what what more can I can I be doing? And I had so many interests. Like it was a big interest of mine to to work in a hospital. So I did for six years. I was a crisis clinician in the emergency department at a couple of local hospitals. But then I also started my private practice, which I'm still running. And I actually ended up back in, in teaching, which is what I had kind of had that original love for. So I ended up, and I'm still actually an instructor at a couple of colleges and universities. So that's a question that I often will tell my students is you can do so many things with a, a psychology degree or a social work degree, because I feel like it's the type of degree that really can like fit many different fields. So, I mean, we see a lot of grads of psych now going into marketing and advertising right? Because there's so much psychology to selling. Uh, we see a lot of psychology grads now creating, you know, businesses or in the health and wellness world. And so it's exciting to see. I, I do feel like it's a type of, um, you want you kind of figure out, okay, what are your ways that you can go? What are the roots? But I think you can do a lot with it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, when I think back on my own journey, like I, mm-hmm. I initially thought I'd be a psychiatrist, that's one of the options. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah, because cool. I I love talking to people, yeah. and so that's also one of the reasons why I do a podcast now. Yeah. It's just because I love talking to people. And awesome. obviously, when you're young, though, like the the parents have the fear that well, maybe if you talk to mental people all the time, maybe it'll impact you negatively. Right. So they had concerns around that, and so I ended up going to business just all on the fact that I love talking to people, <laughs> and I eventually became an investor purely based on like the behavioral finance. Um, cool element of investing there's a lot a psych in that. yeah exactly yeah. I, I love reading all the psych books cool. and um even like my research papers i end up getting to a chance to like, talk with like professor like dan arielli because um, oh, nice. i've been like a big fan of his work yeah. and so there is i can definitely see this fluid element to this kind of field but it also makes me feel like because there's not a, a defined path that it can lead mm-hmm. to a lot of confusion when you're traversing sure through it, it. Yeah. so i'm wondering like, for you what like how did you separate like being a clinical psychologist or like a mental mm. health clinician or a psychotherapist like how did you even is it really like easily laid out that these are very distinctly different roles because it doesn't really sound like it it seems yeah. like they all touch on very similar things yeah i mean I, it's interesting now i mean i never would have guessed now looking back you know it was what 15 years ago that i graduated from undergrad but that i the career would have gone the way that it did right right it was is pretty surprising to me but i think that's kind of the exciting part as well. And that's been the exciting part of a career like this is that you can kind of make it what you want. And you're right. It's not, it's certainly not for everyone because it's not always, it's not always clearly defined. And sometimes we just want this answer of like, where am I going? What am I doing? Um, But I've often, and I would often say to my students, you know, that I do so many different things in this field because that's my form of self-care. That's what keeps me fresh and excited with being in this field. If I was just a crisis counselor in the emergency department, you know, 40 hours a week, I would probably be overwhelmed with, with what we see all the time, but being able to go in there for one or two shifts a week. And then I'm in my private practice and then I'm with a group of students teaching. It just, it gives me kind of that life. It gives me, it gets me excited. And so then when I'm at each place, I'm excited and and ready to be there. And so for me, it's the variety of that, that has just been so important to me. Mm. And when you compare yourself to your peers, let's say, I guess, you know, when you graduated from psychology, mm-hmm. you made a bunch of friends, when you compare yourself to your peers there, do they seem to have a very similar kind of career outline as you, where they mm. work in various different clinics as well? Or do you find that they end up going to maybe like one hospital mm-hmm. and just specializing deeply? That's typically what I find. And I think that's why I connected so much with my best friend staff and my co-founder here was that she very much shares this kind of same spirit that I do of, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of 
being in, in a lot of different places and connecting with lots of different people and lots of different fields and then kind of merging this all together into, into one kind of career. Um, and so she's just always just got it and had that entrepreneurial spirit that I've always had as well. Um, but you're right. Yeah. A lot of people kind of prefer the, the sort of, you know, straighter line, I think. Yeah. And I read that when you started home, one of the reasons behind it uh, was, I guess, this kind of frustration where the, the mental health world was, it was always very reactive to people that came in Absolutely. With, with problems. So I'm wondering, can you paint a picture of like, what kind of state do these people come in when yeah. they come to see you? And that was something that we were getting really, it was really frustrating me as a, as a clinician was that most of the time, by the time that people come to get help, so whether they're coming into an emergency department, calling a crisis line, seeing a therapist, they're at a place where their mental health is already so low that they've already sort of had, you know, some catastrophes happening, right? They're coming in in an acute crisis state. And then we have to mobilize a whole bunch of resources really quickly to help bring that person back up to kind of a baseline functioning. And it was feeling, particularly in the hospital, I was feeling like it was this revolving door of people. It was like, you come in, they'd come in there in crisis and we try to kind of bring them up to this baseline level, but then there'd be five or 10 more people waiting to come in with the same kinds of things. And a lot of what we were seeing in the emergency department was this direct result of these lifestyle stressors that many of us are kind of experiencing today. Um, you know, high stress jobs, fast paced, lots of pressures when it comes to like finances, to the way that we live our lives here, the pressures of work, those kinds of things. And so it was people having panic attacks, anxiety attacks, depressive episodes, suicidal thinking. Um, again, many of it related to, to kind of just poor lifestyle and the hustle and bustle of our, of our life. And so I was feeling frustrated that like, why are we waiting until people are at such a point, low point before we're able to provide support? And how do we get people to kind of do preventative wellness, right? How do we get people thinking about their mental health, um, just like we do our physical health? And how can we start doing things to keep ourselves well? And that was really what led me to like meditation and mindfulness are all things that we can do on a daily basis to kind of keep ourselves well. And so that was like one of the really big guiding forces behind creating home was creating this really unique space that is focused around meditation and mindfulness in a cool way. Okay. And was that something you were already practicing for your own mental health while you were? Totally. Yes. And so that was something, especially when I started into the hospital system about now it's about seven years ago. But it was realizing one is like the intensity of the cases that we were getting well, I was working night shifts as well. And that was something that was also really hard for me. It was like working night shifts and then sometimes I'd have day things and I would be constantly kind of flipping. But also then it was a stress management thing it was like what really led me to like, if, and if I'm going to talk about meditation and mindfulness, then I need to know what I'm talking about. So that was what started my own journey um, into meditation and mindfulness. And I was originally just doing it as research initially. I was like, okay, like if I'm going to talk about it with my clients, like I need to know. And then it became a lifestyle for me. You know, I did my 200 hours of yoga training. I did another 100 hours in trauma-informed yoga. And then I did my meditation um, mindfulness certificate. Oh, wow. So it kind of like triggered this whole whole thing for me. And how, how did how did this like research even begin? Like how did you get over the hump of, you know, it's not backed by much science and mm-hmm. getting the initial kind of foot in the door to dive into this world? Yeah, I mean, it was just starting to do some some reading. I mean, my mom has gone on like these meditation retreats, these vipassanas, oh, like yeah. where yeah, like the silent. I'm actually going to do my first one this year, in 2020. So that's exciting. But the 10 day kind of silent retreat. Um, but she's always been kind of doing that practice. And so 
that was really kind of my first kind of like, okay, maybe I can read about this or look this up. And, and then it was in a lot of my classes as well. Like there was starting to be elements of it. And I was like, okay, if they're bringing that into grad programs now, and if they're bringing it into other things, there might be some benefits here. Um, I was doing some research in addictions and the hospital that I was working out of, they were also just starting to do research in meditation and mindfulness. So that was another kind of indicator to me. I'm like, the hospital's doing, you know, research into this. Maybe there's some science here. And then I just started, you know, like, you know, the cursory Google searches and finding out, okay, there is real science behind this. And that was how it started. Oh, okay. And another another thing that I'm curious about is, so the world that I come from, mm-hmm. like the world of professional services, people yeah. in accounting, consulting, it, a lot of people work hundreds of hours a week and yeah, a, lot. a lot of my friends um close friends and also like myself we've gone through various episodes of panic attacks and depression yeah. and that's also what led me to my own meditating meditation routine but most of my friends don't do that and mm-hmm. what i'm wondering like what what kind of people actually decide to come to seek like help at like a clinic yeah uh, i mean that's like versus like just coming like to like a a clinic or a hospital or, you mean, or? I, I guess like the better question is like what have you know have you noticed that people have to go through some kind of like trigger for them to eventually decide that i need help like i actually like give in to that, mm-hmm. that you have a problem and you actually need help or something like this totally and that's usually what happens why when people i mean when you end up in an emergency department it's usually because something pretty severe ended up happening oftentimes i mean we see people having like panic attacks at work and then they'll come here, come into the emerge, or I mean, they come in thinking that they're having a heart attack. Was very, very common, right? Because for those of you who haven't had a panic attack yet, most of us will have one in our lives. <laughs> but if you haven't had one, it feels the first time feels very much like a heart attack. It's very scary. It's very overwhelming. And so we would get people often coming in in the middle of the night, like cl- like clenching their chest and you know feeling like they're they're going to die, and then having to tell them that it was an anxiety attack, not a heart attack. And what was really interesting to me was also how quickly people would get angry that we're telling them that it was a panic attack, not a heart attack, right? Which often I think just shows how much the stigma of mental health is still there, that people would have rather been told it was a heart attack, right? And so that's oftentimes, sadly, when people start to take notice is when something really serious has happened. And that was really why, again, with this idea of creating a place like home was to kind of create... to differentiate between that and a mental health clinic right that this is not a mental health clinic that this is a place for like mental wellness right Mm -hmm. and so you can do the preventative piece you can it's a unique it's like a kind of an innovative kind of cool space to come into but there's not that stigma of like oh i'm going to home you know to work on my mental health even though you know kind of that's what you're doing yeah i I think that's also something where it's, it's actually a great reframe where um another part of me i've I've been a competitive athlete for the last decade, oh, and oh, cool. so um, yes, yeah, so I've been competing in a sport called powerlifting. It's oh wow, that's and, intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhat, yeah. And so, but you know, I've gone through surgery where I've blown out uh, a knee and stuff, and yeah. but that's taught me the value of having prehab instead of rehab, where you have you know, preventative actual training. And so, my totally. warm ups tend to take about an hour sometimes just to cool. do all the warm ups and mobility just before I actually get into the lifting. And, really, that's awesome. Yeah, and so I have to tell my friends that well, you have to do all this stuff ahead of time so you don't actually get injured. You don't <laughs> want to work on this stuff after you get injured. And, That's so important, right? And it seems that, you know, what you're doing here at home is kind of creating that kind of space where Absolutely. you have that kind of prehab work so you don't actually have to 
go down the difficult path. That's right. And then because you've invested that that prehab, and I love that example, because because you've invested that time and that energy into doing that beforehand, then oftentimes, even if it does, you know, life happens, stressors happen, illness, you know, um, physical ailments, those kinds of things, even when they happen, likely the drop isn't going to be so severe because you've invested this time in the prehab, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've learned these strategies and these skills, you're a little bit healthier than you were before, which means the crash won't be so hard. And so that's the other part is also using meditation to build resiliency, your ability to kind of rebound back when something, you know, goes on. So. And then I think we talked about this a little um, before we actually started recording, but some people are not very open to mm-hmm. meditation. That's and right. There's, I think there's a, a, although it's a growing movement, I think there's still a lot who are still skeptical about it. hundred percent. Unless there's like this proof especially in this more quote-unquote data-driven world everyone's (laughs) like well how can you prove to me that this is going to lead to like x percent improvement totally and i have that discussion with my friends all the time and i've kind of just set my piece on i'm going to meditate and you can see by result of what it's doing for me totally up to you but how do you how do you communicate with people like do you try to convince them or how do you yeah what do these comic like uh, great... conversations go yeah and you're right i mean i was skeptical too like the idea of like just sitting quietly like listening to your breath like to me i'm like what like no i'm like so not that kind of personality right and i was like this is not it's it seems almost too simple to have this kind of benefit and so my advice always to people is to try it and to try it yourself because it was sorry it wasn't until i actually got into it myself that then i was like oh my gosh, okay, there really is something here. And it really was my own experiences that shifted it for me. It was actually living it, like experiencing it. For me, it was really helpful to have it guided initially because I needed that extra person to kind of like help me on that journey. But it was when I experienced it that then I remember opening my eyes after one of my first meditations, guided meditations, and being like, whoa, why doesn't everyone know this? Why don't people, more people know what this feels like? Because I felt instantly relaxed, I felt calmer, I felt just like a little bit more grounded. And so for me, I always tell people is is to try it. But also, I mean, if you're the skeptic, like read the research, right? Look at the papers, like look at that, um, because that can often often help too. And so when you say guided, did you have like an app that guided you or did you actually go in person to like another meditation studio? Yeah, I went in person. So when it was during my yoga training was when I really got into it and we did a big component of my yoga teacher training was actually in meditation. So and that was when I felt like I could really start to fall into it was when I started learning more about it. Um, but always too at the end of like yoga classes, like Shavasana and stuff, that I was always like my favorite spot, you know, my favorite part of the whole class was always that little bit of meditation at the end. Um, but I do use apps as well, and, and that's I still really like using apps at nighttime as well. What kind of apps do you use? I use the Calm app. It's kind of like my primary one, although I use Headspace as well sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, and Calm was one of the, like the very first meditation apps that I started to use, um, and that's the one I recommend actually to a lot of my clients as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I started with Headspace when they first mm-hmm. launched, I think. I started meditating back in 2015. I oh, think. cool! So you've been doing it a long time now. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Like I, I had my kind of breaking point where, mm-hmm. um, so when I was younger, I I was diagnosed with an anger problem oh, uh, by like yeah. a psychiatrist, yeah. and eventually it continued. I think escalating. Yeah. Um, and then I had this kind of breaking point where I ended up punching a hole in the wall from frustrations and anger from work. Oh, did you and really? So, yeah, and so that, that kind of like a. Yeah, that was a breaking point. point of maybe I should do something about this. You know, <laughs> instead of just kind of constantly being the doing what 
they tell you as like a guy like push it down push it down <laughs> totally well that's the thing right and then like and I, it's funny because i always tell my clients i was like you can only push things down for so long before it, it's it's it erupts right? right so that was the moment for you that kind of said like maybe meditation or could yeah. be yeah like i think that was definitely the thing and i think um it's i think people around me started noticing the difference mm-hmm. where i'll so afterwards, I'd go on certain projects, like when I'd be in consulting, and I'd tell my boss, like, just so you know, I tend to have a bit of an anger issue, so yep. if I explode, just know it's not you, it's <laughs> me. So, I, <laughs> so I, I usually, like, tell them ahead of time. I yeah. found that that's pretty helpful with just managing team relations. And Absolutely. most of the time, they started getting, over time, more surprised, where they're like, oh, you're such a calm guy, I don't expect that of you. And I think maybe mm. the meditation might have helped. Might have helped. Creating that kind of persona or atmosphere i don't that's know it's amazing and i love hearing those stories and i always appreciate when people can share the, the stories and also how like meditation can can be so helpful for so many things mm-hmm. and that's what i love about meditation is like it's not just you know sometimes we talk about it to manage stress or to help us relax but it, it can help with anger it can help with sleep it can help with creativity or athletic performance like there are so many applications for meditation and so that's so cool that you're that it, it sounds like it's been really useful for you. Yeah, it definitely has been. I think awesome. I've become more aware of that, especially in like my physical training too, where cool. I think I realized I was meditating in some degree without realizing it because mm. there's a lot of that in like part of the thing where you want to get into this kind of mental zone. Like a zone. Yeah, yeah. before you lift like 500 pounds. Is that 500 <laughs> pounds? Oh my gosh. Wow, that's, yeah, that's intense. So yeah, you definitely need to be in the right headspace though to, to be able to, to lift. And right. That's so, I mean, it's, and athletes, you're right, have been using like practices like visualization and stuff. I mean, that's been, you know, as part of probably not knowing that it was mindfulness or meditation, but, but it is right. I mean, and that's been part of athletes, you know, regime, like practice for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. And so when you were working as a a clinician Mm -hmm. with all these kinds of various people in terms of mental health, what kind of, how does your, like, what actually do you do with these people? Like, can you Mm -hmm. give an example of how like the work actually looks like? Is there a lot of conversations? Or... Like with therapy or with... Uh, I guess like if you can even like differentiate between like therapy and actually working in, I guess maybe... I don't know how you would differentiate it. Sorry, mm-hmm. like I'm very uh, ignorant in this space. Like in sure. a client session kind Exactly, of thing? yeah. Because yeah. like all yeah. I imagine is like, okay, <laughs> I know what Freud did with people, people right. sitting down across <laughs> and they have the leather, leather chair and you just And you talk. lay down exactly. and it's a whole thing. And then there's all yeah. these like jokes about, you know... <laughs> that therapists having like crossword puzzles while they're just talking oh, totally. to you yeah that's so, what we do we watch ipad right exactly stuff. so yeah. I'm, I'm wondering what, what actually goes on i'm very curious yeah so i mean i i kind of like use a lot of different modalities and i kind of say that my background is really eclectic when it comes to, to the therapeutic approach that i take so for me i prefer like a conversational style i think that's often where people are more comfortable when you just feel like you're having a kind of a one-on-one kind of conversation so unlike freud i'm i'm looking at the person we have eye contact they're not usually laying down um, i'm definitely not playing crosswords um but it's a conversation and i use a lot of goal-oriented work so i like to try to figure out what is it that's breaking the client in today what would make them feel like today was useful and that's a question that i ask people always at the outset how do you know that this hour that we're going to spend together will be a value or useful for you and then, then we try to kind of gear it to, towards that. So what do they need to know kind of by the end of that, that hour? And then we'll talk about it. And it's really interesting. Oftentimes when people are like, I have nothing to say, we work with silence, right? And so we'll sit in silence. And then it's usually really powerful. Whatever comes after a period of silence often can be kind of a profound thing and usually indicates that that's really what the person wants to talk about. 
and then we'll talk about it. And then oftentimes I try to provide different perspectives to the way that the person is thinking. Because many of us come in with what we call cognitive distortions, these kind of like thinking errors. We all have an internal dialogue. We all have this narrative going on inside. And many times when we start to analyze that narrative, it can be pretty critical. It can be pretty harsh. It can be just not always the nicest. And so by taking it out of your mind and putting it out kind of in a therapy session, we kind of can objectively look at it in different ways and how that that thought might make you feel. And yeah, so it's like a lot of like playing with what's going on inside your head. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that kind of stuff, it, it requires time to it does. build stuff out. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, I don't have a psych, psych background, but I experimented with actually running kind of like therapy sessions for oh, other cool. kind of people in professional feel, fields who wanted to go through a period of introspection like I had done with my own career oh, and so really? that that's took a lot about, of introspection it, it, yeah and yeah. it we had like two hours of talk therapy every week and cool. we went deep into journaling and we did that for about two months to kind of mm-hmm. get something out of it and these people and they trusted me ahead of time so that yeah. we could run these kinds of programs but for you like when you're meeting strangers like how do you establish that rapport so quickly for them to go okay after this one hour I think you've added enough benefit for me for me to come back to come back yeah I know and that's that's a great question and I think again it comes it's really interesting when we look at um, what makes therapy successful when you look at the literature that's out there what actually makes therapy successful is the connection and the relationship you establish with the person that's the most important thing it's all about fit much more so than the amount of degrees the therapist has or the approach that they take to therapy. It's literally that connection. It's, do I feel like I can connect with this person? And so that's usually like, you know, why I first go to connection always first. It's like, how can I connect with this person? What can kind of bond us together? And it can be everything, you know, I try to make people smile or make people laugh or really early on, I try to make people comfortable um, in the space when, when they come into the space with me. Um, I'll, I usually start, I don't start super personal. I tend to start really broad first when I'm talking because then I'm warming that person up and I'm just building on that connection. Um, and then from there, hopefully I can take it a little bit deeper. So that's usually how I approach the beginning sessions. Hmm. And so then you've had this extensive experience. You've worked with so many people and you have mm-hmm. this growing frustration to <laughs> then eventually go on this entrepreneurial dive with your yeah. co-founder, Steph. Yeah. And Precursor to Home was Ease. So it is, yeah. How, how did that initially start? Like when you, because that's a big jump, right? To actually say, okay, we're going to start a business. Oh, huge. Yeah, like it was so funny because this, like for us at the time, I was working in the hospital. I had like my private practice. Steph had her private practice. And then we started this little side hustle, which was essentially, which was Ease, which was bringing corporate wellness to like wellness and education to corporations. But it was just a side gig. Like we we got certified to run a suicide training course and a mental health first aid course. And we just put up this little like flyer and we ended up later on making a little website um, and printing out some business cards. But originally it was just like a little flyer and an email list. And we started renting a space at a co-sharing space. And for us, we never dreamed that this, that would turn into anything. We thought it was just like a side gig for some extra money. Um, and we were doing that, but then what we started to see, which was really cool, was that we started to sell out these classes. And we never thought that we would have these like 20, 30, 40, you know, people coming to a class. And then from there, we were getting a lot of people from corporations who were saying like, hey, could you guys come and train at our workplace? And so then we were going to these workplaces and like training like 100 people and 200 people. And we're like, this is really cool. And then not only did they want like suicide intervention and mental health, but then a lot of the HR departments were asking us about how do you help 
you know, incorporate mental health strategies and how do you change the corporate culture so that it's a little bit more, you know, focused on mental wellness and all of these kinds of things. And so it was really that that made us start thinking like, it would be really cool if we had our own space where it would, we would celebrate wellness and mental health. And originally we were thinking maybe it would be like, we'd have like a workshop and maybe we'd see clients here. Maybe it would be like a wellness center. And then it was then we kind of then, you know, pivoted from that idea of a wellness center and into like this idea of taking meditation and mindfulness mainstream. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how it like, so, I mean, it was an interesting journey because it was never the intention to be honest, to create, you know, this huge meditation center. Right. And it, I, I, maybe even the precursor to ease is actually having your own private practice yes. to, so to speak. Yeah. Was, was that another in intentional thing or did it happen just organically. organically all of these things honestly it's so funny because i say that now like it's like all of these things just kind of very like serendipitously happened in my right. life um but i was working actually for a hot like a hospital uh and across the street so most of my clinical practice is children and adolescents and that's who i would usually like that was always like the group of people that i would tend to see most at the hospital um if i was ever working with a colleague anytime a child would come in they'd like put me on that on that case that's the where i feel the most like connection um, and so I was working in the hospital, but there was a high school across the street and the high school wanted to put a clinician into the high school, um, to provide therapy to, to the kids right in the school. And so we started this really cool partnership with the hospital and the high school to try to like divert instead of kids coming to the eMERGE, they could just see me in the guidance office. So I was doing that two days a week. And as I was there, just so happened, there was another, a guidance counselor who was also a therapist and he was working there and they just happened to have an extra office for rent at their place right around the corner from the hospital and the school that I was working at and it was like super cheap rent it was like one one day a week to rent this place and I was like I'll give it a go maybe like I'm making some good connections here with these kids maybe I could start seeing them outside of, of the school and um, that was how it started it was like I just said yes I was like they made me sign on for three months so I was like okay if at the end of three months I don't have any clients, then I'm going to quit it. Um, but then it worked, and that's been over five years, and I have a very thriving full practice right now. Wow. So, yeah. And so you, you had that on the side, <laughs> and then you said, okay, well, I'm going to have something else on the side. Totally. To start, start oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a corporate wellness thing. So, and it's, it sounds like it's completely different where you have ther therapy where you're actually working with people one-on-one, -on -one, yeah. right? This corporate thing where it seems like it was a group session totally. where you're just making, or were you giving like workshops? And workshops. How people, like the how-tos, the five steps, that kind of thing? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then from there you decided, okay, let's create home. And then from there, yeah, and that's, <laughs> yep. I know, it's like, didn't have enough going on yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so for someone who's actually working in the mental health profession mm -hmm. and I've read about how ambitious and goal-oriented yeah. you are as a person yeah. and you're resume kind of speaks for itself given that how you try to Thank do so you. many different things yeah <laughs> how do you balance that given what you know about mental health and yeah. how people who are very overly ambitious can kind of push themselves to i guess this path of never feeling like they're doing enough like totally. i i've been suffering through that w, yeah. after so super common i used to work at a hedge fund i quit it to kind of start wow. this own media platform with the podcast and everything and that's been a journey that i've had to go alone where sure. because i haven't had friends who are going through something similar so mm -hmm. i do my therapy by talking to entrepreneurs like you who That's get to awesome. share what there you go what they're so going through it. yeah but i'm wondering like for you how, how do you handle that as someone who's more of a professional yeah i mean i think for me, what's really helped is often I, what I like is having the variety. For me, that's always been the thing that I've really enjoyed about having so many different things was that that's what kind of fills me back up is that like 
you know, I'm at my practice Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then the rest of the time I'm doing some other kind of interesting things. And so that's really, I think, having that variety to me just in and of itself is really helpful. But uh, you're right, I've had to get much better with being able to, I mean, it wasn't only until this year or two years ago or so that I started being able to say like, no, or not right now mm. to things and really making sure that I carve out this self like time for myself. And that's been something that I'm, I'm getting a lot better at. I'm not certainly not perfect at it. But I really try to like turn off my phone at nighttime. I try now not to be working 24 seven. I try to make sure I have really, you know, good time out with my friends and that kind of thing. Um, so that's been huge for me, but the other part here and what's really, I think kind of saved me in so many ways working at home has been working with, with friends and family, like our team, our co-founding team, which is there's five of us total Steph and I are the primary. And then we have three other people as our team. And then of course the larger team of all of our staff. But what's been so incredible is the team and the dynamic is that we have a lot of fun together. So as much as it's work, like we laugh all the time. We've got this ridiculous group chat going on now with this like hilarious memes and like silly jokes. And that's the part I think that that's just really helped me through it all is that like, you just got these other you know people there to just have a good time with. So. And how, how do you then handle the kind of the, the, I, I call it like my own kind of inner demon where mm-hmm. it just wants to do more, but oh my gosh, stopping it and kind of pacing it down and being slow. Totally. <laughs> How do you uh, handle that? That's a tough one, I think, because, yeah, slow is not really the word that we use around here. <laughs> everything is fast. Everything happens right now. Um, but I created a thing I call it the later list. So it was this idea of, like, when I have so many ideas in my head and there's so many, so many things that I want to do, it's kind of like, okay, well, what, what am I doing right now? And then what's the later list? Mm-hmm. And so I'll kind of park things now on this later list to try to kind of, like, tell myself, okay, Carolyn, like, that doesn't have to be a right now thing. It can be a later thing. And so I'm, I'm trying to get better at doing that. Yeah. I, that makes me feel like I'm kind of going <laughs> on the right path too, just because yeah. <laughs> now there's someone else who's kind of doing something similar where, so I've, I've created something on my own kind of Evernote called the idea bank and I'm just been oh, cool. tossing everything into my right? quote unquote idea bank. That, totally. Like just, just before our interview, I was actually tossing stuff in there too and I was looking at it going, I have stuff from 2018 July but it's okay it's okay that's right it's totally okay because at some point you'll get around to it right or it's a cool idea that will have its time when it needs to come out right Mm -hmm. so and in terms of actually actually doing all this stuff like what I'm curious what what motivates you to do all this Mm because right now we're talking about all these successes but I can only imagine that there were a lot of difficulties and struggles all throughout totally there is yeah Especially, I think the biggest has been, you know, creating a business, right? I mean, as, you're, as you know, I mean, there's there's ups and downs and there's like the highest of highs, but there's the lowest of, of the lows. And I think for me, it's always just coming back to that core vision of, you know, when we first start talking of that feeling of like always knowing that like part of my career path was going to be in the helping field. And I really believe in what we're doing here really, really strongly. I believe in the work that we're doing. I believe that you know, the way that most people are living their life in modern day right now in North America is not sustainable. It's really toxic to our mental health and well-being. And so to be a part of like this, like push to mental health and mental wellness and mental well-being is just like part of like who I am. And so, yeah, I I feel this like intensity in terms of um, like my passion, my purpose to do this work. And so when you're actually so far in the journey of home, like Mm -hmm. what's been what's like a struggle that kind of pops out into your mind where it's, um, you know, maybe people outside just don't think of it as obvious or even when you were going through it, you didn't think this would be a very like obvious struggle that you'd even experience. That's a great question because there's a lot. I mean, I think for us, we didn't know anything. 
like truly, when we opened this business, we knew that we wanted to open a business around meditation and mindfulness. I had never worked a POS system in my life. I had never ran a store, ran a business, done, you know, architect or design. Like this space was totally gray. So done permitting, like all of that stuff we had to learn on the fly as we were going, trying to negotiate to get a corporate lease, like any of that stuff. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, at all and we've just kind of learned social media marketing advertising like these are worlds that like you know are so beyond me so I like you know I had to do this deep dive into trying to figure out how to how to do this as we were going through it so I think for me that's been the biggest learning was just realizing you know there's there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know and uh, you know and just try try to kind of keeping your head above water I think was always the thing right yeah and then it's a business too, and it's a big business in in Toronto. So it's also you know there's always those financial woes and concerns and that kind of stuff. And then it's sometimes there's that challenge of running a meditation studio, but then also it's a business too, and and managing the, those competing sometimes ideas, right? Did you? Is it? Do you feel like now it's at a spot where things are kind of hitting that equilibrium point of like it's it's good now or do you feel like you're still kind of crowding no we're it's it's hit the spot it literally it was like the once we hit like the 12 month mark we all just like collectively like could take like finally breathe like we just like it's like we had all been holding our breath for a year (laughs) so we all just were like okay and so yeah the first year I don't have children but I I kind of liken it to what it could be like that you know that first like quarter we didn't know like we were barely sleeping we didn't know if we were coming or going. We were joke. We would joke, but it was for real. And my staff will be angry that I'm going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We had this communal deodorant in here that we would all just use because like none of us had showered. Like we were just like, it was that kind of like early days where you just don't know what the heck you're doing. Um, that was the first quarter. And then we kind of hit our stride and, and we started to learn and, and it's kind of, I kept saying we needed to find our rhythm and our heartbeat, you know? And, and once we found that, we really kind of grabbed onto that and, um, after that first 12 months, we were like, okay, yeah, we can do this. Like, you know, the baby's okay. <laughs> the baby's still alive, you know? So it was good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I can, because I, I've, I've, I've interviewed a lot of, I'd say, digital entrepreneurs mm-hmm. on the podcast yeah, where, yeah, a lot of them have, you know, these software companies. But yeah. to actually run a space, that's also a completely different animal yeah. on its own, I think, where it you is. have all these other obligations and it's... I guess in one element, it's great because then you see it coming alive in sure, front of you, you with, with your eyes. But at the same time, I can only imagine the kind of stress that you go through it. Like, oh, totally. What is there kind of one big thing that kind of stood out to you? It's like, I never expected this would be like a big problem. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's like, and I will probably come to me later. There was just a, not a lot of problems. Because I think actually, to be honest, we've been very lucky and very just, or just, I don't know, things have, have kind of, Overall, I mean, I can't sit here and say they've been super smooth because they haven't, um, you know, but but overall things have been not, there hasn't been the catastrophes. I'm going to knock on wood for that oh, okay, because yeah. there has been no like catastrophic um, things that have, have happened. There's been a lot of challenges, but there have been things that we didn't know. I mean, we had, you know, our plumbing backed up and we had no idea what the heck to do. And that was like just into opening with this huge media day that was going to come and we figured out how to like figure that out at like two in the morning and you know we had heating problems in here and we've had noise complaints and we you know and dealing with customer you know complaints and thankfully not very many but just the whole customer service side of things we had a horrific website when we first opened like crashed a whole bunch of times and yeah so like there was like things like that 
Um, we didn't actually have cleaning when we first opened or garbage delivery or like any of these like things that you would think you would have. We didn't have any of that because we didn't know that we needed those. Um, right. so I, I don't think anyone really does until they no. actually run a store. You literally don't. And then you're like, who's going to take your garbage away? And you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, and how do you pay certain things? And, you know, it's just like all of these kind of silly things. But big, you know, just all these things that you don't realize until you're actually running it, mm-hmm. you know, and flow. And, and also just like, thankfully, we've been really blessed with incredible people coming in. But, you know, the first I remember, you know, when we first opened and, you know, staff would say, well, how do I do this? Or what do I do? I'm like, Literally, I have no idea. I'm like, make it up. Make up whatever you think sounds good because we didn't know, right? So all of those kinds of things. So it's probably like a series of lots of small things versus like one big catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And as someone who runs a, a meditation studio, what's, what's a, I guess, a stereotype, like an assumption that your friends have of like mm-hmm. what you do, but that's just completely incorrect and you have to tell, remind them that that's not really what I actually do or, or... I don't. Well, the one thing we always joke about as a team is that running a meditation studio, you know, you'd, you'd think that it was not going to be stressful. <laughs> so that's like the big running joke with us. It's like, who would have thought that running a meditation studio is so stressful? But it is. Um, but I also think there's that preconception of what meditation is all about. And so oftentimes it's really funny because when I tell people, I say, oh, yeah, I run a meditation studio in Toronto. It's often not until people look us up or come to home. They're like, what? I didn't know you ran a meditation studio like that. Because their idea is they think it's going to be some, I don't know, like hippie kind of, I don't know, like when they think of meditation, what they think of, but not a, you know, not certainly not a modern kind of innovative space like we have here. Um, So that's something I always get is like, they're like, I had no idea that your space would look like that. Um, and then, yeah, certainly the, the stress piece, I think, is, is the big one. Yeah, it, as you're telling your story, it made me think that, I guess you get, it's kind of good in, in one way because all business running is stressful, but your business is all about helping alleviate stress so you can constantly use your own product. Well, that's the great thing. Like, to be honest, like, we have a lot of our meetings, like, in Salt Cave. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. And, like, it's so often, like, you'll just find me, like, with the, in the dark room is my favorite spot, and I'll just shut the door, and I'm just, like, having a moment in there. Um, and then, yeah, we take classes all the time, so. Mm-hmm. And I, I can totally understand this, I guess, like, still the current day stigma of, like, oh, yeah, like, meditation studios are kind of, quote-unquote, mm. hippie, but yeah. you're, you know, like, from the tour, I can tell it's very somewhat like very kind of high tech i'd say yeah. these different like meditation rooms like you have the dark room the light room the salt cave i was actually very curious why do you have a salt cave why why is meditation i didn't know meditation and salt were related yeah and they're not necessarily related um but we were, we were kind of when we were concepting the space we had like the two studios and we loved the idea of like this duality of like dark and lightness and right. the different kind of vibe that each class gives you or each room gives you and then we had more space and we're like it would be neat to kind of have smaller a little bit more intimate a little bit more private type experience rooms and so we were playing with this idea of like what could it be because we wanted something where you still have to disconnect you still have to like leave your phone at the front you still have to kind of go and just kind of be still and so we were playing with this idea of like we lo- we knew we wanted the heat the hot of the sauna and that sauna is a place where you can come and you can sweat but many people meditate in in a sauna or in all that kind of space and so we're like what's the opposite of a, of a sauna and so originally we were playing with this idea of like cryo or cold or whatever. And then we're like, yeah, like cold, like a cave. And then that was kind of what started that conversation. So that's how it came about. Oh, okay. And so it, for the listeners who are actually very curious, you should actually go up and look up the pictures for the salt cave because it's actually an entire cave just with salt <laughs> inside. And 
I was actually stepping into actual salt. That's right. I think that was actually a very good touch that you added there too. Where, right? Yeah. Yeah. You had to like you're... stand on the salt. Yeah. <laughs> and also just, I think even the experience in the beginning where as soon as I came in to the mm-hmm. front, they said, take off your shoes and I was yeah. going to be walking with my socks. And when did that become like an intentional idea? I'm very curious on like how that kind of started out. Let's just make people walk without yeah. shoes. It was from the very beginning. It was this idea of again, coming into someone's home. Right. Mm. And so that was, it was like, we want people to feel like you're coming into a home. And so it's like, come sit down, take off your shoes, put them away. And then it's like, you're home. Like, mm-hmm. just relax. You're here. Right. So yeah, it's been since day one. Oh, okay. Because yeah. from one, one perspective, it seems like such an unconventional thing to do right? for a business. Totally. And, you know, it seems like your career has been filled with a lot of unconventional <laughs> steps. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is there, is there a particular kind of unconventional move that you feel like paid off big time where... At the moment, it just seemed very scary and or people around you were saying, like, what are you doing? And you feel yeah. like when you look back on it, it was a no-brainer. Where it, of course, I would have done that kind of decision. I mean, to be honest, it's open in this space. Like, we didn't actually even tell people that we were open. Like, my friends and family didn't know that I was opening this space until it was open. Most of them. Some of them, a few knew, but, like, the larger, like, extended family didn't know. Same with my friends because it sounded... To me, even, it sounded ridiculous. Like, how do I start telling people, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to open up like, this 5,100-square-foot meditation studio and people not think, like, okay, like, what's wrong with Carolyn? Like, is, like, why is she doing this? You know, and, and that was, it was hard for me because I I knew what, and stuff as well, we knew what it would look like in our head. We knew how we wanted it to be, but it was hard to articulate it verbally at the beginning to kind of tell people, like, how do you tell people it's going to be this really cool, innovative huge but like people are going to come to it and so that was something that we kind of like hid from people and we kind of like did this in the dark and and kind of like kept it really silent until we could actually invite people here and have them really see the vision from from start to finish but now looking back on it now it's incredible the amount of sort of validation that we've had um, not only from our customers and consumers but from friends and family and other people in the business world who have been like that's such an incredible idea and I wish I thought of it and those kinds of things but two years ago when we were first thinking about this it sounded to us it was like and it was the biggest leap I've ever taken in my life to launch something like this I mean that was the scariest most terrifying thing I've ever done has been opening up this business so yeah I can only imagine (laughs) if you without actually having the business telling people going up to and saying, oh yeah. oh yeah, I'm going to people, I'm going to charge people money and they're going to come in and sit down and, and it. it's going to be silence and <laughs> I'm giving them the space to not do anything. To not do anything. And they, yeah, that's my business, right? It sounds, it's, it's hard to like articulate. Right. Especially if you're, if you're talking to people who most I think are still like skeptics at some point Absolutely. of meditation, they'll say, are, are you kidding me? People that's are going right. to pay you? for that that's exactly and that was our concern so i was like you know what i'm just not gonna say it and i'm like just come and experience it and that's what i always tell people is like give yourself the experience and then you'll see Mm. and so do you find that actually having the space open has given you this newfound of confidence in in actually telling people now what you're doing so much more so yeah i mean Mm. even actually it's interesting like you know when we had to start because then you open a business and again this idea of like media and podcasts and all of that is not our world. Like that's not something I've ever been a part of. And all of a sudden now you have to like talk about the business and, and be out there and, and sell the business as well. And it's been so exciting because absolutely, I mean, you know, we all feel so strongly in what we've done here and what we've created that it's really exciting to talk about it now. And there is definitely a, a big confidence that I never had before to mm-hmm. be able to talk about this business. 
and so then on on reflection like so some of the questions i kind of the i guess ending kind of questions mm-hmm. i like asking uh my guests is one is um if you can reflect reflect back to the past so mm-hmm. if you can think about let's say the the 24 year old caroline yeah that is still kind of going through her early early career in like mental health mm-hmm. what advice do you would you like to have received at that point or would you like to give if you could go back in time to that 24 year old self of yours great question i don't know i'd tell her probably a few things i think i think i would tell her to rest more <laughs> Because I was, I, I, I worked really hard. And on one hand, I, I'm really appreciative of all that. But I also think it would have been wonderful if I had found meditation and mindfulness and like self-care practices earlier on, I think, in my career. I think I could have saved myself a lot of stress. Um, so I just said that. And then also the reassurance to just, it's okay to take risks. I didn't take as big risks before. And I think that was, you know, something I gained that confidence to do later in my life. But I would have taken more risks earlier on, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for someone uh, who's been in the mental health arena for a while, if someone approaches you and says, I want to get into meditation, but I'm not very good at keeping up with things, how do you recommend people start? Yeah. So I always say, like, is just start small, right? The, the amazing thing with meditation and mindfulness is that even, like, things like as short as, like, three to five minutes of, like, a mindful breath practice can can be beneficial, so that's the first thing is just start small. You don't have to put this expectation that it's 30 minutes or an hour, you know, every day, you know, X amount of times per week. It doesn't have to be anything like that. But the other part is, and, you know, I love, again, the guided idea, right? Because I feel often, so even myself, like when I go to the gym, I prefer classes over working out by myself because I know I'm going to get like a proper workout and I'm guided by somebody who knows what they're doing. So I say, you know, come take a class or, you know, download an app and try and just try and see if each time you do it, can you increase your time a little bit? Can you sink into that meditation a little bit more? Um, and just be easy with yourself. You know, the big thing with meditation is it's a practice like anything else. You're not going to be great at it when you first start. And that's fine. Right? Continue it, though. Stay with it because the benefits are going to be really worth it. Mm. And would you say that the classes at home are like there's different levels for the beginner level and there is. intermediate? Yeah, so we have some classes, and that's the the interesting thing with home is like we've really tried to gear our classes to all levels, and certainly there are variations where you can kind of sink a little bit deeper into into things. We do have a breathwork one and two, so the second breathwork is a lot deeper. Um, we also have a class called Explore, which really kind of takes you into a deeper dive into meditation and mindful practices. Um, but we have a class for everyone. I mean, we have sound classes, which is a great first step for people who don't meditate very often. Because the sound itself can really help people slip into a meditative state a lot easier. So, I mean, look at the, the different types of classes. See what kind of resonates with you. Because there's there might be easier ways for you to fall into, into meditation. Meditation, unlike what many people think, you don't have to be, like, seated. And, like, legs crossed, holding your fingers together and, like, going, oh. Like, that's not, like, that's not what's going on in here. Um, and that if that's for some people, but it doesn't have to be for everyone. And so... I always tell people, just like, come try it uh, and see what works for you. Awesome. (laughs) And so is there anything that you wish that we had kind of covered that we didn't get to cover today that you maybe want to leave my listeners with? No, I mean, I think you you covered it. I think you really highlighted, you know, what we're doing here and, and how meditation and mindfulness can be really helpful, especially in that busy modern world we've got out there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with myself and my audience. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take thanks. Care. All right. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com, and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content, but at the same time, also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that, you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, everything will still be free. It's just, it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at, and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this is, isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder all right thank you <laughs>